0: Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez alongside Tyler Burton. We delayed the podcast a day this week because we thought National Signing Day would be over, but it's 8-10 p.m. on Wednesday, December 21st, and it feels like National Signing Day is basically just getting started at this
1: point. Tyler, what is going on? (laughs) Has he committed yet? I mean, I guess he has committed. He's he's committed to Oregon, but the letter of intent hasn't been turned in yet um he's talking to Oklahoma he's talking to Notre Dame Adam I don't know what's going on at this point right now we felt like when we woke up this morning it was going to be you know pretty par for the course uh, everybody that was already given their verbal commit to, to Oklahoma was going to sign you know that of course did happen and then we were you know kind of crossing our fingers waiting on Peyton Bowen and Cecilia Akana and Oklahoma strikes out on both of those but Kind of a plot twist, we found out about 4 o'clock this afternoon that Peyton Bowen, while he did, uh, you know, spurn Notre Dame, uh, did commit to Oregon, has not sent his letter of intent all the way up to Eugene yet. So nothing is official. Kind of feels like everybody is still in play for Peyton Bowen. I'm not sure he knows what he wants to do. I'm not sure his family is is sure what he's going to do, but it's, it's crazy right now. I've never seen anything like it. Let's, let's rewind and kind of set the stage a little bit yeah. here yeah. and
0: we'll, we'll keep our eyes on what's going on online here because it could be that we break news while we're recording this podcast and we'll do our best to kind of dance around it here because by the time this releases, it could be totally outdated info, but we kind of led into this past weekend knowing that, okay, maybe a visit to Oregon might happen, an official visit. And if that was the case, it was going to cancel out probably the Notre Dame and the Oklahoma in-home visits that did not occur. Uh, The the visit to Oregon did not occur. And so the the in-home visit with Notre Dame actually got canceled. And OU was the only program that had the opportunity to go do an in-home on the last day before the silent period began uh, with, or the dead period, as they call it, uh, in-home with Peyton Bowen. And it felt like all signs were pointing towards, okay, it's going to happen. It's an OU flip. But then we see today kind of out of the blue. We didn't think that there was going to be a ceremony or an Instagram live or anything, but there they are at a restaurant and he's got the two hats on the table, but not the two that we expected, Notre Dame and Oregon. And it sure felt like, okay, he's got an know you hat under the table or something. And it's, it's going to happen, but he pulls eventually, you know, pulls out the Oregon hat and signs a letter of intent, but doesn't go through. I guess what, did did have you seen this or, or were you able to see it live, Tyler?
1: Yeah, I was able to follow it live. Um, okay, was very, very confused. I think that we were all pretty sure that Oklahoma was going to be one of the two schools, and we were. I think you know most people were pretty confident in saying that it was going to be an Oklahoma Notre Dame battle coming down to the final stretch. Oregon made their final pitch, you know, w- within the last few days, but they weren't able to get him on a on a uh, plane up to Eugene to check out. Uh, you know, Eugene for one last official visit before signing day. But Adam, really the kind of the crazy part for me is what, what are the priorities right now? Like what, what is going into his decision-making as far as where he wants to play football next year? You know, we all, We all know that you know Notre Dame. He's got a really good relationship with Marcus Freeman. What the Fighting Irish are continuing to do, you know, we know his mom. You know, academics for her son—that's a huge priority for them. Oklahoma and Oregon are playing. You know, a distant second and third from from Notre Dame when it comes to academics. But Oklahoma has had a lot of you know really really good things. You know, kind of certain tallies on their side of things. You know, with you know being two and a half hours away from home. You know, Jackson Arnold. You know, his his best friend. You know, signing to be. You know, the quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, his girlfriend's going to school there. We've talked about this time and time again over the last few months, but it just kind of feels like we're at a point now where Oregon drops a bag. That dollar amount, that cash value is very appealing to an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school. And like we said, he puts on the Oregon hat. His mom looks like, no, 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 not a fan of that. So I'm not sure what's happening right now. I'm sure once all the cameras were off and, and the signing ceremony was over, Uh, I'm sure some conversations were were had about how, you know, we're not necessarily in favor of this. Let's, you know, let's sit down, try to talk about this one more time. But it's it's crazy, Adam. I've never seen anything like it. We follow recruiting, you know, each and every year, you know, throughout National Signing Day, you know, 365 days. It's I've never seen anything like this. no. And there was two reports that came out
0: after he had signed the letter of intent and then didn't send it in. Shame on the Italian restaurant f- that they were at for not having a fax machine, I guess. Bad Wi-Fi. Uh, sh- <laughs> no Wi-Fi. Slow Wi-Fi. Yeah, but what, what the two reports were were essentially that Peyton Bowen said, oh, I decided like seconds before I did that which tells me he didn't know, obviously, what he was going to do. And then Mom, I guess, uh, a report came out from Mom that they had narrowed it down to the two schools. And I I (laughs) believe we're assuming that that's Notre Dame and Oregon. And so here's my total speculation of what I think is going on here. I think Mom is obviously strongly in Notre Dame camp. And Peyton Bowen, I think, was actually pretty strongly in the Oklahoma camp. And then Oregon's kind of that third option. And so I think mom kind of steered it as, okay, Oregon can be the second option because I know you're not really that interested in them. I think you want to go to Oklahoma, keep Notre Dame in that, in that that number one spot. Sure. So I think she was fine with that. I think she was expecting Notre Dame to be the choice there. I think Bowen doesn't really want to go to Notre Dame. So he viewed Oregon as the third option, the one that he was kind of okay with, but not Notre Dame. And now obviously mom's not happy with that. So here we are. It's, 8 15 p.m. and he has not sent that letter of intent in Oklahoma's talking to Peyton Bowen Notre Dame's still talking to Peyton Bowen so I guess at this point like if he hasn't sent in in into Oregon already and there was a huge I guess discussion amongst the family after that decision do you think that Oregon is still alive here or do you
1: do you think he can go back after he's kind of said oh I'm I'm hesitating yeah, he can definitely go back to, to Oregon when you're, you know, a top two safety in the country, top fifteen player nationally and you're in this recruiting cycle. Yeah, just because, you know, there was a little bit of a delay in faxing the letter of intent over, absolutely they're gonna welcome you back with open arms. But Adam, you almost kind of wonder if maybe this is the better question. Is this turning into a situation where essentially he's he kinda wants to go to Oregon. He doesn't want to go to Notre Dame. His mom wants him at Notre Dame because of academics, but doesn't want him in Oregon. Is this a situation where he's essentially going to fall into Oklahoma's lap because Oklahoma is the lesser of two evils, and that's a school that both mom and dad can agree, mom, dad, and Peyton can agree on? Especially once you factor in, you know, the closeness to home, um, and you know, then being able to just make the short drive up I thirty uh, five to watch Peyton play every Saturday.
0: You would you would like to think that that's the middle ground option that they come to the conclusion of but at the same time Notre Dame and OU have basically been button heads over Mm -hmm. the same recruit for the last year or so yeah and mom's been on Notre Dame's camp so Oklahoma's probably enemy number one in her mind up until 11 o'clock this morning when Mm -hmm. maybe Oklahoma doesn't sound so bad anymore so we'll see I I don't know I don't want to assign a whole lot of like feeling or motive to you know what she is because i i don't know i've never heard her speak never seen an interview with her maybe she was pretty okay with ou but still just felt really strongly about notre dame i I don't know but um up until this point oklahoma has been the biggest threat to the school that she prefers in notre dame so i wonder how much she'll be willing to let up on that or if she's still going to be pushing very hard for notre dame and how much of a chance notre dame truly has here's my question to you tyler Put yourself in Brent Venable's shoes. We know that OU is in contact with Peyton Bowen uh, this evening. We know he's not calling to offer a
1: bigger bag because that's not a game that OU can play. What is Brent Venable saying to Peyton Bowen right now? That's exactly what I was just about to ask you. And I guess we can kind of talk through this together because like you said, this is a recruitment battle that's been going on for I think we can say, you know, uh, for the better part of almost a year now, and and you know, as we've gotten closer and closer to National Signing Day, official visits have been taken. You know, Peyton's been to to South Bend multiple times. He took the trip back in October to watch the Ducks take on UCLA. He's been to Oklahoma more, probably double the amount of times as the other schools combined over the last six months. So. I, but at this point, right now, Adam, I mean, we know that Peyton Bowen has been on the phone with Brent Venables with Jay Veal with Brandon Hall, and I think you I think you ask a really, really good question. What can Brent Venables say to Peyton Bowen right now, as we sit here at eight twenty-two on December twenty-first, that he hasn't hasn't already said to him up to this point? Um, I don't know if it's you know just reassuring, you know, just continuing to hit those the, those talking points uh, again and again and again, hoping that something strikes a chord with him and he's here to say, okay, uh, I made a mistake, I kind of jumped the gun, you know, whether it was for the wrong reasons or whatnot. I shouldn't have committed to Oregon. I want to come play for you at Oklahoma, but it's it's a fascinating situation. I, I really don't know what, what Brent Venables at this point can say that he hasn't already set up, uh, you know, so far in the last six months. The
0: message boards and Twitter have just been absolutely insane Oh, today. it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I, I went ahead and got you know ahead of the game before he ever announced that he was going to Oregon, and I have declared that he's not good enough to come to OU, and we need three stars from Oklahoma to win our nas- next national championship. Mm. But if Peyton Bowen does flip back to OU or I guess he would flip to OU for the first time, then I'm changing my stance. He's the greatest safety that's ever played the <laughs> game. Um, but yes, there's been a whole bunch of people that, you know, once once he commits to somewhere else, it becomes the, oh, we don't even want him. He's indecisive. He He's playing the NIL game. He's not the right character that we want. I don't necessarily know that I agree with that. I see it more as he's a kid that's put on the spot, and and he self-admitted this. I only knew a few seconds before I did it essentially. I was picking Oregon. I don't think he's unsure. I think, well, I I think he's unsure, but he's, he's 17, he's 18 years old and 17, 18 year old boys don't know what they want. They don't, they're, they're, they're very immature. They make bad decisions all the time. I was once in those shoes. You know, a lot of people transfer colleges. We're seeing the portal all the time right now. So I feel bad for him almost like I, it feels like he was put on the spot. He was given two options in the hats on the table that he probably didn't necessarily love. And so he picked the one that he thought would be the easiest way out. And it turns out that's creating a huge mess there. Right. Do, you, do you agree? Or do
1: you think it's because Brent Venables obviously going back after him at this point. I think it's a situation, Adam, where, Peyton Bowen is a very smart, very thoughtful kid, comes from a good family, and I think that, you know, this this is a huge decision. I mean, th- this is going to, you know, ultimately, you know, change the trajectory of your life and ultimately it's going to play a huge role in, you know, what your <laughs> what the end game is with your future. And you know, I think that we can confidently say that all three options, Oregon, uh, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, with a with a kid is talented uh, as Peyton Bowen is he's gonna have a chance to make it to the next level no matter which of these three destinations he chooses to go to so again I think it's one of those things where there's pros and cons with with each of those three destinations but I- at the end of the day what's gonna be the biggest thing that he what's gonna be the biggest you know couple of things that he values that's ultimately you know gonna kind of you know tilt the uh, you know tilt the pendulum to, to one direction because you know if if he was truly sold, and committed on going to Oregon, that national letter of intent would have already been would have already been faxed up to Eugene. If he was sold and wanted to play football for the Fighting Irish in South Bend, uh, there would have been no wavering of his commitment. He would have stayed. He's been committed to them for months and months now. But at the end of the day, it all kind of comes back to Oklahoma. So like we said, Brent Venables, he's going to get one more crack at it. What's he going to do? What more can he say at this point? What's something different? Uh, what's a different pitch that he can make that can get Peyton Bowen to, to come on board? Because honestly, I have no idea what this kid's going to do. And if we're being honest at him, I'm not sure he knows what he wants to do.
0: Yeah. I think the further we get away from that 11 AM decision to go to Oregon, I think we're seeing more and more that NIL, I mean, it certainly is a piece of the puzzle, but maybe not as big as we initially thought. I'm sure Oregon made the biggest bid. They have the deepest pockets there and, so this may not necessarily apply to Peyton Bowen when it's all said and done, but it's certainly applied to other guys. David Hicks uh, is a guy that, <laughs> yeah. that went to a and for the bag, and he's still going to make a final decision, I guess, on on Friday. It sounds like are oh, you still trying there? I don't blame them for trying, but it seems like that's <laughs> unlikely yeah. to, to really go anywhere. But from an NIL perspective, there's so much so much consternation and conversation around well OU needs to pick up their game the fans need to contribute we saw the the collective that had the goal of three million dollars uh in 30 days they finished about halfway to that goal and a lot of people complaining about that that fans weren't contributing there or or big money donors aren't stepping up and I, I I understand that to some extent but at the same time if OU raises their NIL game, Oregon just raises theirs more. Texas <clears throat> yeah. A&M just raises theirs more. Mm-hmm. We're not going to outcompete those schools. Mm-hmm. So raising our NIL game, okay, maybe it helps us get someone when we're going against Louisville you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to change the fact that Oregon and Texas A&M and Texas and those types of programs, Miami, are just going to outbid OU. So if a guy's really focused on that, we're not winning that battle
1: and i i don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. i think that that's just kind of the world that we live in because of the size of our donor base. Uh, you know when you, when you're going up against, you know, the the South Texas oil money that Texas A&M is is enriched with when you're talking about, you know, Oregon, you know, Phil Knight, you know, billions and billions of dollars that Nike you know, that you know that Nike brings in on an annual basis. oh you there's no way you can compete with something like that. There's just no chance. So that's where when Brent Venables once he got on campus at Oklahoma and he talked about, you know, Oklahoma is going to play the NIL game, NIL game, and you know, you're foolish to believe that that Oklahoma is not, they're trying. It's just on a much smaller scale than than what the other two uh, programs that Oklahoma is going up against right now. For Peyton Bowen and I guess you could even throw it to Celia Con in there as well. We'll touch we'll touch on him in a minute. But Oklahoma is always going to play, they're always going to be sitting in the back seat when it comes to the NIL game. They're not going to be competitive with the likes of the you know, the, the big boys that have the bigger donor bases, that have the rich alumni, that have the 60,000 undergraduates. It's just simply not going to happen. So what's Oklahoma going to do to separate themselves and make them more appealing than just hey saying, hey, I'm, I can take a quick you know, quick paycheck for my services to go up here and play school. That's where it goes back to Brent Venables, the, you know, building those relationships, instilling the confidence in one another, both as a player and a coach, and that can kind of be the tipping point to you know, make somebody or you know make 24, <laughs> 24 guys that committed to play at Oklahoma uh, choose to go there as opposed to going somewhere else for a paycheck or for other reasons to give a little
0: bit of a breath of, of fresh air because it feels like oh my gosh we're never going to get these elite
1: players because they're just going to get bought from all these different schools well there's no and, reg, there's no regulation adam it's yeah it's a free there's for not all. i mean there's, there's been, been it's been play, pay for play for years so until the ncaa decides that they want to step in and put can't. some rules down they can't they can't or they, they can't they won't they can't and they won't so I,
0: like, yes, there you're, we're going to lose constantly lose guys. And I'm saying pain, Peyton Bowen is necessarily that guy, but to give a little bit of like the opposite side, I think it's important to remember that there are guys out there that are not driven by money. A uh, case in point, Hollywood smothers tweeted this uh, just actually a couple hours before we hit record here. Um, he said that me and my boys going to college for free, that's all that matters. Um, and so he's just saying, Hey, you know, Um, Our parents don't have to pay for our education and that's, that's a huge honor. Like we're going to put our best efforts out on the field, essentially. There's guys like him. There's guys like Jackson Arnold who uh, are coming to you and probably not getting the the most money that they possibly could. Um, Uh I'm sure Jackson Arnold could have gone to Oregon. They've certainly wanted a quarterback here at the end. they flipped the the guy from that was going to be committed to Baylor.
1: Texas A&M made a
0: run at him too. Yeah. So there's certainly enough guys out there that maybe they come from good situations or maybe they have more of a long-term view or not, necessarily driven by money, but um, it's, it's going to be tough. I think as OU recruits in the future, they're going to have to quickly and more effectively identify the guys that are not driven by NIL and focus on those guys.
1: Adam, I think one of the things that's been interesting uh, with the transfer portal talk over the last few days, I'm sure you saw the article that came out where they got a quote from Mac Brown, who was talking about um, you know, the the two or three schools that made seven-figure offers to Drake May for him to leave North Carolina and go quarterback at their program. I almost wonder if if does, does stuff like that, whether it's transfer portal tampering, whether it's NIL offers that are made, does that need to be public record so that we can exactly see? If, if the NCAA is not going to enforce any rules and regulate how much money gets tossed around for certain services, how a player is compensated, should it at least be made public knowledge to where these the you know these other universities or your donor bases uh, actually know how much money it's actually taking to bring in these high level recruits I wish it was public knowledge because I think it would help for the fans just to see that oh wow he got two
0: million dollars to go to Oregon but OU was yeah. offering you know five hundred thousand dude get out go to Eugene well and that's <laughs> why crazy money
1: that's why I think and you've made a really good point in the group chat over the last couple of weeks it's you know as Oklahoma has been making this big NIL push encouraging their donors and their fans you know to to donate money let's you know let's build up the the total of you know the total amount that we can distribute out to these recruits that we're trying Trying to bring on campus it it kind of is almost um i don't want to say i don't know if off-putting is the right word but it definitely to to a donor that doesn't know how much money it actually takes why would i choose to donate to certain something when i don't know when it's not for sure that it's actually going to get what i'm what i'm donating to you know what i'm saying
0: yeah and and it's know. tough, like, because
1: now if we we do
0: swing and miss on Peyton Bowen and David Hicks, which that's the way things are as they as they stand right now. Yeah. Everyone that's donated to the NIL collective, your dollars essentially are getting spread out to the L V Bunkley Sheltons and you know, backup third string, you know, players of the world. Yeah. So each of them can get, you know, forty thousand dollars really right. is, is what it is going towards. So I what does that really do for you? I'm I'm not sure because I, I don't think that those are impact players. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I, so, I agree with you.
0: The uh, other big name that dropped today was Tassili Akana, a guy that OU led for seemingly for months. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it took him forever to make the decision, and that should have told you all you needed to know there. A guy that I think was looking for all sorts of reasons not to go to OU. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, Brent Venables, uh, basically, for this entire recruiting cycle since he became the head coach at Oklahoma, you know, Cecilia connor was was Brent's, you know, one of his top, top priorities. He recruited him when he was still defensive coordinator at Clemson, carried that same relationship over when he took the head coaching job at Oklahoma, and I, I think it really, Adam, I think it just – probably family was one of the things that, that kind of went into this. You know, we've, we've heard the same thing with Colton Vosick, Anthony Evans. This was a situation where he was comfortable at Texas. His sister's on the volleyball team down there at UT. They just won a national championship. So there's some familiarity with that. Uh, but, you know, as as Oklahoma fans and many people that have followed this recruitment, it kind of felt like we, we always felt as though the relationship and wanting to play For somebody like Brent Venables that has such a proven track record, especially at that position, getting guys from college to the NFL, we always thought that that would win out. But as we found out time and time again, it takes more than just, okay, this guy, you know, he's the best position coach in the country. It's going to take a little bit more than that to convince me to go to this school. So and I'm not sure. Again, we we can sit here and speculate. You know how much NIL is involved. Yes, Texas is is heavily involved in the, in the NIL game. You're foolish if you don't believe it. Um, but I don't think that this was a case. Much like Peyton Bowen, I don't think that this was a case where it was simply because they had the highest dollar they had the highest dollar amount on that check.
0: He did have a lot of dollar bills on the lay that he was wearing around his neck. Did you did you notice that? Oh, no, I didn't even I didn't even notice that. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch his I, watch his commitment. Okay. I Just got the on uh, his. Yeah, on his commitment video, he's wearing the, the Hawaiian lei and it's got dollar bills all over it, uh, mixed in with the the flowers and everything else that's on there. Um, so I, I just saw that and before he committed I was like oh that's yeah. that's not a good sign um,
1: and so. I think that this one just stings a little bit more because you lose it to, you lose him to your arch rival Texas you know you and that was yeah. at such a, a key position of need for for Oklahoma you can never have too many you know solid edge guys that can get after the passer so that that one's definitely going to sting for a little bit but we'll see what Oklahoma does um, and let, let's talk about the positives of today because the positives far outweigh missing out on those two guys today let's touch on this 2023 class adam
0: yeah well how about how about marcus strong uh a guy that was kind of a surprise for us today yeah i i guess was a surprise there was a thought that he might commit we don't know if he was going to be a take or not looks like he was because he obviously committed he's actually (coughs) the lowest ranked commitment in the entire class Uh, a defensive lineman three-star out of the state of florida I, I don't know like how much I can get super excited for him. It's kind of overshadowed <laughs> by everything else that's gone throughout the day. And I haven't done too much digging there, but um, yeah, you got to take some swings at some defensive linemen and, and find some guys that are going to fit. And I, he looks like a guy that probably could play some three technique. Um, he looks like he looks like a Jalen Redmond type. Like he could kind of go yeah. either way, depending on how they want to move that body, um, you know, up or down in weight. But um, yeah, I mean, Uh, Hopefully it's a great evaluation, but that doesn't really bring a whole lot of comfort at the end of the day (laughs) when when we're going for five stars and we have to rely on a a good evaluation because most three stars are going to be average or bust. Um, There's very, very, very few that become all conference, all American NFL type guys.
1: And it definitely does give you cause for concern if you just go down the offer list for Marcus Strong. I mean, I think Georgia Tech was on there, Arkansas State, Florida Atlantic. So Oklahoma was by far the best the best opportunity and the best offer that this kid had to play. So, you know, Adam, according to 247, he's the 139th ranked defensive lineman in this recruiting cycle. So you've got to think Marcus Strong becoming a part of this class is, you know, one, Oklahoma missing out on David Hicks and Cade McDonald. Two, Oklahoma needs bodies now and fast in the defensive line group because of what they're losing in the portal and to the NFL draft. And three, like you touched on, Adam, this is a scenario where Todd Bates and Brent Venables, like this kid's tape, sees it even though he's extremely raw right now. He has a very high ceiling with tremendous upside. So I think that it's just simply one of those things where you've got to trust the evaluation, pray that once he gets on campus, you know, he can put on some good size and weight, and he can be coached properly. He can be developed by Todd Bates. Uh, who's got such a good proven track record with defensive linemen? But um, if there's one thing that we do know, Adam, to be true, it's that if you're an elite defensive lineman in the state of Florida, it's hard for you to make it out of the South and and go play anywhere else. With the you know with Florida, the two Florida schools there, Clemson, all the other SEC powerhouses there, Oklahoma did a tremendous job landing Derek LeBlanc, but you know Marcus Strong, other than Seeing the size and the frame, really when you watch his tape, nothing gets you overly excited, but that's what Todd Bates is there for. That's what Brent Venables is there for. So we'll get him on campus, get him coached up, and we'll see if he can be a player for us. Let's talk about the defensive line class
0: as a whole right now, because I think that was one that, you know, we certainly want to see a lot more. You've got yeah. Cecilia Khanna, who's probably a defensive end, edge rusher. He's gone to Texas, Colton Vosick gone to Texas, David Hicks, likely gone to Texas A&M, maybe Oregon, depending on what the offer is on Friday. So that leaves OU with PJ Adebore, a guy that is awesome. Like great five star. He looks like he's going to be amazing, but we don't know what could happen. He could be a bust. He could have injuries knock on wood. We hope that doesn't happen. Um, He's the guy. Then you've got Derek LeBlanc, a four-star, I think a guy that probably is going to take a few years to figure out where his his role is on the defensive line. Another guy that could go inside or outside possibly. Um, Then you've got uh, Ashton Sanders, a three-star defensive tackle. He's a guy I like. Um, I would like to to love him, you know, because you know, I would like to think, Oh, we got a five star like David Hicks here, but I, I think he'll be solid. But I, again, I think he's a couple of years away from contributing. You got Marcus strong, who we just um, spoke about a minute ago. He's probably a few years away from contributing Taylor wine, a, a late bloomer that maybe that's gold. Oh, you struck, but at the same time, we don't have a whole great track record there. And I, he's probably gonna take some time to adjust too. So yeah. there's not immediate help coming in on this, pl- on this class. maybe, Maybe PJ is able to contribute next year.
1: Yeah, I think you'll definitely see PJ factor into the rotation uh, as a freshman next year. But, you know, Adam, let's not forget the transfer portal additions as well to the 2023 class. I think of the Jacob Lacey, you know, while he's not a guy that uh, many people expect to come in and, you know, be a true difference maker like a Gerald McCoy or or a a Jeremy Beal, I think he's got all the tools in the world to be able to come in and, you know, be part of the rotation, be able to almost kind of have the Jeffrey Johnson role where, you know, you see him out there, he's...
0: That doesn't make me feel great. Well, in a
1: sense of... (laughs) He's going to play a large amount of the snaps. He's going to be able to make plays from time to time, but he's not going to wow you like some of the other premier defensive tackles. To to me that
0: if he's playing the Jeffrey Johnson role, it's just a warm body on the field. Like that's what McCade Mattire was uh, for OU on the offensive line. Like he was there. Was he doing a good job? Not really. Jeffrey Johnson, I think probably did better than McCade did on the defensive line. He was there. I don't know if he did anything good. I don't think he True. did anything bad. He was just there. But I think that so. kind
1: of that kind of speaks on the fact of how tough it is. There's only so many guys out there in the high school ranks that can, you know, be difference makers on the interior in Power 5 college football. That's why uh, it, it's so hard to, to be able to recruit those guys and actually get them to sign to come to your school. Um, that's why when you watch Alabama and you watch Georgia, they've got those guys. Oklahoma just hasn't been able to get that caliber of athlete on the interior. Uh, of the line of scrimmage. And hopefully that's something, especially, you know, moving into 2024 with some of the defensive line that Oklahoma is going to be in for and going to be contenders for. uh, We'll see if Todd Bates can close the deal on those guys.
0: Yeah. As a whole for the the class right now sitting around number eight on uh, 247's composite rankings, it's pretty good. It's not where it probably needs to be for OU to move forward (sighs) and win a national championship. I think you want to be in that top five. I think you need to be in that top five. Now, I know Clemson, and we talked about it a lot in the offseason, Clemson won you know, their first couple national championships without too many blue chippers on the roster. So you'd like to think that OU has some of that rub off on them and they're able to coach some guys up. But yep. I don't know, looking back at the track record for this season, you'd like to think that it was breaking down of so many bad things that it had to get really bad. That's the optimist view of it, but really the pessimist view and kind of the view I see is like, man, Brent Venables just didn't make it easy to win, <laughs> and he, well, he could have. Well, I think I he could have made it easier to win, and so that gives yeah. you question and pause when you say, okay, is he going to develop guys going forward? because we need that, that eighth-ranked class to act like a top-five class at the end of the day.
1: Well, Adam, let me kind of talk you back off that ledge a little bit. I mean, when we woke up this morning, Oklahoma had 23 verbal commitments in the class right now. All 23 of those guys signed. You picked up your 24th commitment by having Marcus Strong join the fold a little bit later in the morning. Highest-rated class in 247 history. Top-five class when you factor in the, the the transfers of Jacob Lacey, Austin Stogner, Desan McCullough, number one uh, you know edge guy in the transfer portal. But, you know, Adam, for a program with the first year head coach coming off of a disappointing six and six season this is to me this is one hell of a class and I think it speaks it speaks volumes about the the job that Brent Venables and this coaching staff did especially down the line you know coming off of a six and six year to close out the regular season there you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have blamed any of these kids that were part of this 23 recruiting class for choosing to look elsewhere for choosing to decommit yeah we had a couple of decommitments along the way uh, Anthony Evans Colton Vossig, but I think that one of the things that's got me super excited about this bunch coming in, Adam, it's there is a huge difference to me in the quality of this recruiting class because of how well-rounded it is. It's not like in years past where we've seen other Lincoln-Riley where you've got a high-ranked class because you've got a five-star quarterback to go with you know three or four five-star wide receivers, a couple of premier backs. As far as star ratings go, when you break down this class as it sits for Oklahoma, seven of the top ten players – that signed with Oklahoma today are on the defensive side of the football. So you're starting to see a small shift in the makeup of this roster's firepower. You've got your five-star quarterback, yes, in Jackson Arnold. You've got elite running backs coming to play. You've got a couple of dynamic wide receivers that I think are going to have a chance to play right away as true freshmen. Solid O-line haul, not great, but it's it's serviceable. Caden Green's the most notable of the, of the signees. But you've got those guys to go with what's probably the best group of defensive recruits that Oklahoma has signed in over a decade. So, Oklahoma fans, I know it was a disappointing day because we missed out on Peyton Bowen and Cecilia Akana. But let's not allow missing out on two guys to overshadow how great of a class that this. I think that this turned out to be, and how great of a job this coaching staff did minimizing the six and six season uh, and closing out strong. I still have to
0: point out. You're not sold. Though. You're not sold on it. I'm not sold. Most of those guys that are committed, I think Brent Venables did an awesome job keeping them on board. We had a couple decommits, but for the most part, he built that relationship over the summer yeah. and it was strong enough that no matter what happened on the field, they, they hung on to all those guys. Sure. On the flip side, you look at the guys that did commit in the season or, or towards the end of the season. And I understand that most of the time those are going to be lower ranked guys because they're, they're late bloomers, whatever. Um, But Ashton Sanders, three star (laughs) Taylor wine, three star Uh, Kendall Dolby. I think he's a a gem out of the Juco ranks there. I think he'll be really good, but it probably a little bit, you know, no one knows enough about him to give it a probably a great ranking there. And then Dave McCullough, who kind of was a unique situation with coaches, you know, getting moved around and and so forth. Um, So really not super impressive, not a whole lot of holes that needed to be filled at that point, but It was really more of a job of just hanging on to guys. It wasn't a, oh, you know, we're six and six and guys are still committing to that particular product. So I think what will be more impressive to me and what I will be more um, sold on is when I see those same type of big recruits like Caden Green and PJ Adebore and and, and the likes commit over this upcoming offseason,
1: knowing that we just went through six and six and it was bad. Yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> it was really bad. And and again, I, I will agree with you in a sense that when you go down and you look at the list of recruits, yes, this is a good overall recruiting class from top to bottom. But I will agree with you. You know, we we hear it time and time again, especially on social media. Oklahoma fans don't get mad at what you missed out on. Just appreciate what you actually got. That's not a good enough approach for me because. For Oklahoma to get to where they want to go, not just to you know definitely be better than six and six, but not just make a college football playoff, but to actually win a national championship, you have to land Peyton Bowen. You've got to get to guys like David Hicks, Caden McDonald, Cecilia Connor You have to have that caliber of athlete because that's going to you know not just boost the you know the overall talent of your starters, but you've got to have guys like that at all three levels of your depth chart uh, for Oklahoma to go as far as they want to. So. I'm happy with what they got given the 6-6 six and six season and Brent Venable's first year as a head coach. But make no mistake about it, going into 2024, Oklahoma's got to build on this. They've got to do better than just the number eight or number nine class because going into the SEC, you need a top three to five class uh, to continue to build that depth and build the uh, talent pool uh, on your roster.
0: We'll have lots of time, probably in February, to talk about the incoming class and a little bit more detail yeah, who you think might sure. be an impact guy, who we're excited about, and so forth. But the 6-6 six and six season is not over yet. Unfortunately, we still have a bowl game to play next week. Uh, we won't have a podcast next week, so we're not really previewing the Cheez-It Bowl uh, mercifully for, for yeah. us and for all the listeners out there because I don't think anyone really wants to have an in-depth preview there. So I'll, I'll ask you a simple question. Or or, there could be multiple answers here, I guess. No one expects OU to win. Uh, Nine and a half point underdogs against Florida State and Orlando. Florida State seems really excited to be there. They had a great year. OU's going to be down a couple of guys. Probably not super thrilled to be continuing this uh, nightmare of a season. But what we'll see a lot of young guys, probably some new faces starting. Mm -hmm. What is it from this game that you're going to be looking for and saying, okay, that gives me
1: a lot of optimism going into the off season. I, I don't know if, if there's anything that I'll see in this game that will give me optimism because we've seen time and time again OU perform well in bowl games. Certain players, individuals perform well in bowl, in bowl games and then are complete no-shows, non-contributors the following season. But there are going to be a couple of things in this meaningless bowl game that I am going to have my eye on. One of them is going to be Oklahoma's tackles. You're not going to have Wanie Morris. You're not going to have Anton Harrison. So you're going to be trotting out Tyler Guyton and probably Jacob Sexton is going to be opposite him at left tackle. Uh, if there's one thing that the people that watch college football, particularly Florida State football, know, uh, the Seminoles have a very good front seven. None of their players have opted out. This is a chance for Florida State to uh, to win double-digit games for the first time in a while. Travis Hunter's already announced he's going to be coming back. You know, He has a chance to, with an impressive performance against this Oklahoma defense, that's a chance for him to not just springboard his team, into, uh, into next season but that's a chance for him individually to go ahead and start the Heisman campaign for Travis Hunter down in Tallahassee so uh, Oklahoma's tackles are going to be one thing for me and you alluded to it young guys getting snaps that could play a pivotal role in 2023 there's three guys for me they're all in offense Javante Barnes he's going to be running back one next year no Eric Gray Marcus Major it is what it is Gavin Sawchuk. Still has the ability, even after if he does play in this game, still protected by the redshirt rule. He hasn't played his four games this season, so let's give Javante and, and uh, Gavin Sawchuk, you know, a healthy dose of carries. And then, last but not least, for me, Dylan Gabriel is going to be playing quarterback. We know Marvin Mims is going to be playing, but Theo Weiss is transferred. I want to see what Jaden Gibson does. We saw him a little bit. He made he made some plays early in the season, had some flashes. Unfortunately, had a few drops as the season progressed, and his t- and his snaps his snap count went down. What does Jaden Gibson do in a moment like this? Maybe he's a guy that could have a good game the, the, this here next week and kind of springboard him him uh, with a little bit of momentum, give him some confidence going into the offseason. You said Travis
0: Hunter. I think you meant Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I've been looking at nothing but recruiting today. So, yes, Jordan Travis, not yeah. <laughs> Travis Hunter. I do a
0: double take to be like, did he, yeah. he, he didn't transfer to Florida State even though he was committed. At, yeah. Jordan Travis, uh, the quarterback for Florida State. I I agree with you on all points. I think, too, on the defensive side of the ball, I'm not necessarily as concerned with who's necessarily starting the game, but it's more about what does the snap uh, share count look like there? Does our Mason Thomas steal more snaps away from a Reggie Grimes type? And does he look like a dude that can you know, push for that, that starting position next year. Same thing with Jaron Kanek, you know, somewhere along the the linebackers right. or maybe in a cheetah role. Is he able to take some snaps away from somebody? Uh, Gentry Williams that maybe the uh, corner opposite Woody Washington, because we still don't know what CJ Colden's doing. It sounds like he's going to apply for maybe a six year and but there's no guarantee of that, I guess maybe it is there's nine year players coming to oregon (laughs) soon so maybe cj colton can get a six year but yeah it's it's, i think it's seeing some of those younger guys especially on the defensive side of the ball can they push um in these bowl practices to get more time on the field there um i I just don't see a path really to to victory here bowl games are weird but man florida state seems interested to be there and they're they're far superior than what OU was uh, Mm -hmm. this season. So yeah, don't see
1: a path to victory. This is, this is a very good Florida state football team that OU is going (laughs) to be lining up against in the cheese at bowl. Um, But yeah, I I think you make a really, really good point. You know, who wants to be there? I think Florida state has more to play for outside of Oklahoma. And I don't want to say Adam, that bowl games are meaningless. You know, you want to, especially in a situation that Oklahoma finds himself in where you need to win this game to avoid your first losing season since 98. Um, But yeah, I just, I, Don't see a path outside of Florida State turning the football over, you know, two or three times where Oklahoma can can win this game. I just don't think that they've got the skill uh, with what they've lost, you know, opting out to the NFL draft and to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I just – I don't think that this is going to be pretty – I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. uh, But there's just nothing that – there's just nothing that anybody can say to me that could convince me that Oklahoma has a realistic shot to win this game. What's your score prediction for the Chiefs Bowl? I've got this Florida State, 45, Oklahoma, 34. So Florida State covers, but Oklahoma keeps it respectable. Okay. Uh,
0: So you're expecting you to still be able to move the ball quite a bit with uh, the new offensive lineman, new running
1: back? Uh, I'm expecting Florida State to jump out to a uh, big lead early, and then Oklahoma scores a couple touchdowns late in the second half to make it respectable.
0: Yeah. I've kind of got a similar – game flow in the sense that OU probably puts up some points in garbage time to make it a little closer than it actually seems. I've got Florida State 38, Oklahoma 20.
1: Um, Do you care? I, I don't care what the – to me, this isn't going to change the – hang on, let me, let me backtrack this. If Oklahoma goes out there and gets their ass handed to them and they get blown out, yeah, that is probably going to give me a little bit of cause for concern. Yes, I know that they're going to be outmatched. They're going to be outmanned. But you would hope – Six and six regular season. You would hope that there's some pride in that locker room to where they would at least go out there and put up a fight, at least keep it close.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like I've just been beat up all season by this team. I'm just begging them, like, stop hitting me, <laughs> stop hitting me with all these awful losses. I'm not gonna awful be able to performances. Watch. Yeah, it, it. I want it won't wash the bad taste of the season out of my mouth, but it can be a start. Like don't go out there and lay an egg. Um, it's frustrating even with the talent on OU's roster. Like they should be able to compete and have a chance to win against uh, Florida state, but nothing about what we've seen this year tells me that they're capable of doing that because the play has been inconsistent. Brent Venables and Jeff Levy don't seem to be putting their guys in the best position to win. And so like, is that going to change in this game? I don't, I just don't see it. So, yeah, we we won't have that episode next week to to preview it, um, and then uh, I guess the following week we may have some wrap up. It'll be the new year at that point, but uh, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll be a little bit have some optimism and some more um, interesting things to talk about there. Sure. Dylan Gabriel did announce today that he is coming back for a second, uh. I guess a second year with the Sooners. Not necessarily a surprise there, uh, but. I guess uh, it brings into the topic of conversation all throughout the offseason. Is he going to get displaced by Jackson Arnold at some point during the 2023 season?
1: Well, I think if you're Jeff Levy right now, you could have asked for for a better scenario. This is a guy that's, you know, he's got a proven track record, especially in this system. He, you know, he's a he's a veteran. Uh, You know, he's he's the leader of this football team. And as a guy in Jackson Arnold coming in as a true freshman, Probably couldn't pick a better guy to have to, you know, sit behind for a year and learn, you know, the way that he manages going about on a day-to-day basis, how he leads the the team, how he has control over the locker room. But I just hope that this isn't a situation, Adam, where kind of like what we saw with Clemson this year with, you know, DJ being the veteran guy coming back, and then you've got the young hotshot incoming, incoming recruit in Kate Klubnick. I think the Clemson fans are probably pissed off at Dabo Sweeney because he stuck with DJ so long. Kate Clubbing probably has not playing in the college football playoff right now. But I think that even though I would hope Jeff Levy would have told Dylan Gabriel in the, in the conversation that they've had since the Texas Tech game, come back, we want you to come back, we want you to be quarterback one, but just know if you do come back, you're not just going to be handed the job. There's a Jackson Arnold five star. He's got all the talent in the world, all the tools can make every throw in the book. He's going to be coming in. It's going to be a true quarterback battle, and we're going to expect you to uh, to get better and actually beat this kid out. Um, but the fact that Davis the fact that Davis Bevel's not going to be the backup quarterback next year automatically makes me feel better about the 2023 season. So <laughs> put that on a bumper think- sticker.
0: Do you think Dylan Gabriel gets drafted? Let's say he um, has a great year and he's like fifth place in the Heisman voting. Do you think he gets drafted in the NFL?
1: I think he gets drafted. Is he a starting quarterback in the NFL? No.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I don't even know that he gets drafted. I think he's just so small. I mean, so he's small he's, and he's a lefty. Like I don't know that there's. A I, don't, I don't know what I don't know team. what his
1: comp is. I mean, he's maybe a less talented Tua. I don't know if that's the short left handed quarterback. He definitely doesn't have the arm talent, Tua does, but he doesn't have I don't the, know.
0: the running skill either. No. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it. So, it. I mean, maybe he sees it and says, hey, I, I have to go out and prove something else to the NFL. And if Jackson Arnold takes my job, like that's what's going to happen. I have to go out and prove something more. Um,
1: does uh, Does Dylan Gabriel coming back, does that sway Marvin Mims one way or the other? Or is that totally unrelated?
0: I mean, it's probably a great situation for him either way if he's looking at it as, hey, I get experienced Dylan Gabriel or superstar Jackson Arnold, five-star recruit. Like, yeah, either way, yeah. I, I would like to think Marvin Mims comes back so that he can show the consistency because he was so up and down this year. Great game, great for game, sure. bad game, bad game, average game, great game. You know, he was just all over the place. I, I would like to see him come back and, and have for a boy sure. in the cough type year. Adam,
1: for sure. my last thing before we close this thing out, to all the people listening, to all the people that follow us on Twitter, Stop tweeting at recruits. (laughs) Yeah. Please.
0: Yes. Please Please stop. Please stop. (laughs) It looks bad.
1: It's embarrassing. To yourself, your family, the fan base, just don't do it.
0: Well, I I will say to everyone that listens to us and follows us follows us on Twitter. Thank you. It's been a great year for us here at the Mainline Podcast. December actually is going to be our our biggest month on record for uh, downloads and listens of the podcast. Um, All sorts of new people following the account on Twitter as well. Uh, Make sure you're following us there at the Mainline Pod. Uh, We didn't get to it today, uh, but we do like to read some of the responses we get on Twitter. It's always good to get people's opinions and feedback there. And uh, make sure to follow us on YouTube uh, by searching for the Mainline Podcast. I'm excited for 2023. Once we get into spring, softball is going to be fun. Baseball, I can't wait to talk about baseball. They haven't let me down in a long time, unlike this football team. So I'm pumped for it. I'm not pumped for basketball talk. <laughs> I feel like they're going to let me down for sure, but we will have a lot of different OU sports to talk about. Yeah. A lot more in the off season. Once again, in some of those spring
1: sports. And I will say this to all of our new listeners and subscribers, you know, we, we are, uh, an OU football focused podcast, but we probably cover diamond sports and spring sports, uh, better than almost every other podcast more, out there, more, than more, the more than the yeah. other podcasts. So, um, we, we value all sports within OU athletics. So excited about spring. What's going to come? Uh, we'll see if the uh, men's and women's basketball programs, as they head into big 12 conference play, we'll see what that, uh, what the rest of the schedule brings for them. But yeah, Adam, it's going to be fun. We'll see if we can, uh, see if we knock off the Noles next week. We'll see what Peyton Bowen does. And I feel like we'll have a lot to talk about next time the three of us get together and Corbin is back in the States absolutely well until then everyone have a great christmas and a happy new year thank you for listening to
0: the mainline podcast we will see you in 2023